What's the one thing you must know about sneaker culture? I recently learned that every sneakerhead has at least one pair of Nike shoes in their house. So, we did one better. We got you the designer of Nike shoes in the house instead. That's right. Last week, we met with Aaron Cooper. Aaron has spent over two decades at Nike. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Serena Williams. I'm not randomly name dropping here. Aaron has actually worked with these and many more famous athletes and sports people in his career. Aaron has a new role now. He is the chief design mentor at Plato. Now Plato is an Indian footwear company founded by another former Nike employee, Ravi Kalayil. In his new avatar, Aaron is bullish that the Indian sneaker culture could now inspire the West, even though we've usually seen that it's the other way around. What we think is a big opportunity here with Plato is that the Indian culture, it's encoded in your genetics of storytelling for centuries. And more importantly, one of my goal is that we create something here that is actually a pull into Western culture. That said, Aaron is not in denial of the challenges in that path. Tune in to a fascinating conversation where Aaron talks about the importance of empathy and affordability in sneaker designing. It's an insider's view into sneaker culture like no other. It's Thursday, the 23rd of November. This is Shifali Bhatt from The Economic Times and you're listening to The Morning Brief. So I have spent the last few days looking up Aaron Cooper and some of the things that I should tell you about Aaron Cooper as someone who's not from the sneaker culture is that uh, this person has spent 25 plus years at Nike designing some of the most popular shoes that came out of that place. I have been told that people look at the likes of you as they look at fashion designers and they wait for the next collection of of shoe designers and sneaker designers. So for anybody who's fascinated by the world of sneakers, but is not really embedded into sneaker culture, I think that is the one thing that I wanted to start off with. When you started in Nike in the 90s, was the career as cool then? Like, how did you get into it? Just tell me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. uh, And thank you for the very kind introduction. My story is that I've always been an athlete. Uh, I grew up racing BMX, playing soccer, basketball, just moving, just playing. Uh, that was my interest in Nike is, is to be able to take, I'm an industrial designer by education, and to be able to take my education and marry it with athletics. And if it's organized, then maybe it's called a sport. But taking those two things, taking design and bringing it into athletics to create more inspiring product that gets more people to play... And again, if it's organized, you can call it a sport. But that's what I think, you know, that's what is so important to me and what I think is is really important to this world is is play. And so, yeah, that's what brought me to Nike and, and that's what kept me there for 25 years. Take us a bit into the 90s. Like shoe designing, was it as cool back then as it is now? 
Wow, that's a great question. No, <laughs> it wasn't really known back then. Um, I mean, design wasn't really known back then. I'd say that a lot of people, they speak about design as the way something looks. For me, design is about form following function. And, you know, if it's only about aesthetic, then it's more about fashion. And it's more about art, which is fine, which is great, but it's not design. And so design wasn't even really a household name, household word back then, certainly not uh, footwear design. So yeah, I actually was the first design intern at Nike. And one of my goals before graduating was to be, have two inter- internships. One was at Nike. And then my other goal was to have a job offer before I graduated so I didn't have to go through the whole interview process. <laughs> uh, so making sure I was doing everything I could to um, to have the opportunity to maybe uh, be offered a job. And sure enough, before I left the internship, they offered me a job. Aaron definitely has an interesting backstory. But it's not a patch on his present role. He is mentoring Plato now which is a year-old footwear company. Nike, on the other hand, has a 60-year-old legacy. So we had to dive right in and talk about the challenges he sees for Plato in India. So one of them is just getting people to try the shoes. Like, how do we get them on their feet? So distribution, how do you, you know, because right now we're, we're majority on online we're partnering with a lot of schools and then partnering with some retailers and looking for more retailers. So it's, it's getting them onto people's feet so that they can feel them. Once, my belief is once you feel these shoes at the price point that, that, uh, that we're delivering, it's over. So I think the rest of it will happen organically, you know, because I think we all had that. Like shoes just kind of make you feel, you know, brand new pair of shoes kind of make you feel special, you know, and, and again, that's, that's what I want to do for, for the masses of, of kids that not everybody can afford the higher price point product because I was that kid. You know, my father was a preacher. My mom was a social activist. Didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. I did grow up playing soccer because I could walk to practice and it was free. But with Play-Doh, uh, the opportunity is to bring better design into a price point that is more accessible that has never really been done before. Because usually, you know, that, that level of design is, is kind of kept for the, the higher-end product, the more uh, expensive product. And then also, you know, being empathetic to the people you're trying to serve and realizing that in India, specifically, is a culture of, of very open footwear, barefoot. And so your feet tend to be more naturally formed for a longer period of time. You know, they don't get conformed by, um, by closed-toed shoes as much. Uh, so when you do have the opportunity to go into a closed-toed shoe, a lot of Indian people think they are tight, they're narrow, uh, and that they need a wide shoe. And it's like, well, no, you just need a more natural shoe. So that, that's something else we're doing at Plato is bringing in that, that, that idea of, of a natural fit. You don't have that level of thinking, that level of expertise, to be quite frank, at that price point. So that's what we're doing is bringing that uh, thoughtfulness and that intent into that price point. My desire is that the kid that, that only has the access to this price point of product uh, buys our shoes um, and is walking down the street and another kid who has an access to in more you know, to the Nikes, you know, turns around and says, yo, dude, where'd you get those? Affordability features a lot in our chat with Aaron. So I had to ask him, has this actually happened? where, you know, someone who's wearing statement shoes, the premium kind, has turned around to notice someone who's wearing the takedown shoes, which is the budget version of popular shoes. And Aaron again took us back to his days at Nike, 
working with Eric Avar, another popular sneaker designer from Nike's table. When I was first starting, Eric Avar would do the statement level, the ones that you know were most typically on the NBA court. I would then do the takedown, the inspired by, which was usually more difficult because it had to have kind of genetic to that statement level product. Then it has to stand on its own. And in my belief, like I want to make it just as cool. Actually, I'm a competitor, so I wanted to make it even cooler than that statement level shoe. And in the Instagram, you can read comments um, and people are get excited about finding out that I designed that one particular takedown. And they're like, well, now I know why I love that shoe so much because they are fans of you know other shoes that I designed. Um, and they're just now finding out that you know I designed that quote-unquote takedown. But those are the ones that I had the most fun doing. Uh, and th- those are the, funny enough, those are the ones that end up selling the most um, because the more people have access to them. And the thing that was so cool back then is that uh, they started finding their way uh, onto the NBA basketball court. So Gary Payton, Gary Payton wore a shoe that I designed when I was an intern, and it was a $75 shoe. Uh, and actually, a lot of players ended up wearing those. The one of the most special moments. Uh, in my career, um, and it's just specifically at the 10 years in basketball, was when I was at a uh, Lakers playing the Bulls. They were in overtime, and on the court, um, out of the 10 players, nine of the guys uh, were wearing shoes that I designed. If we are talking sneaker culture, we have to talk basketball. In the West, sneaker culture is what it is because of basketball. In India, however, Basketball may have gained from sneaker culture as well. My colleague Surohini, who is a sneaker head and has played basketball growing up, was telling me how she noticed some of her friends knew about Air Jordans, but they didn't know who Michael Jordan was. Michael Jordan is the popular basketball player that Nike named this shoe line after. But if you find this amusing, Aaron has a funnier anecdote for you. There was a group of us traveling. We were uh, in an elevator, the design team. This teenager walks into the elevator, and he is wearing a pair of shoes that I designed. And a friend of mine, the guy, one of the guys I was working with, said, hey, you know this guy here uh, designed your shoes. And this guy looks down at his, at his feet, looks at me, looks back down on his feet, and looks up at the that my friend and said, there's no way that that guy designed these shoes. And the elevator opened up, we walked out, and the elevator doors closed, and we all just started laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, he didn't think I was cool enough looking or something. But um, so, yeah, so that that that's happened. And then also some people have recognized me. This is before social media, even before, like, email. So kids would... Um, write me letters to write, you know, to Nike with, you know, care of Aaron Cooper. And I made a point from that, from then, of always writing the people back. And this is 25 years ago. I have now friends from that experience all over the world. One of them, uh, Chad Troyer, who is a uh, senior um, director, footwear director at the brand Jordan. He wrote me a letter when he was in the seventh grade. uh, And now he's 30 plus years old, like a little brother and an uncle to my kids. Aaron shared a lot of stories like these. No wonder he is building a shoe encyclopedia on Instagram. I am not exaggerating. He puts up sneaker designs from the 90s and they get rave comments from sneakerheads. So I had to ask, what is it about the 90s? So why do people like the 90s? The reason why is because there's a deeper story to their creation. It's like, you know, commodities, things that we 
don't necessarily need in our life, but we buy them, they often end up kind of leaving the home pretty quickly, like we just get rid of them. Um, but the things that we keep uh, are the things that matter the most to us, and it is because of those stories. People resonate with with those shoes um, because we were we were focused on growing the culture of the game. Uh, and to do that, you have to inspire people to play, and to do that, you have to create something that they can quote-unquote buy into. When he says it's all about the story, he really means it. I mean, he even told me a story about the sneakers I was wearing that day. You're wearing uh, Anasuka Tigers, which are um, pretty interesting because a lot of people don't know that was uh, actually at the very beginning of Nike because Phil Knight was importing Anasuka Tigers into uh, the U.S., and then that's what helped him see the opportunity. And then he and Bill Bowerman figured that they could do something on their own. And they collaborated together and started making something on their own and building it and having it made. And the rest is history with Nike. Speaking of history, there's something in the past that Aaron wants to bring back into shoe designing. Today, so much is being made by machine. I mean, they're being designed by humans, but uh, but through computer-aided you know, software, there's just like this perfection about them. Uh, and it's that little twist, that little imperfection. In Japan, they call it uh, wabi-sabi. That's something that I want to bring back, uh, especially to for this brand, for Play-Doh, uh, because I think it is uh, something so special to this culture. And more importantly, one of my goal is that we create something here that is actually a pull into Western culture. I believe that you guys have something here that's so special that uh, Western sneaker culture will be pulling it. And what is that special thing that we have? I think you guys play more. You know, running across the street, like, I don't know, like, uh, to me, like, if you're, if you're to, you know, human movement as a, as a pyramid, an elite athlete's getting paid to compete in sport at the very tip, Olympic athletes. And that very, the broadest base um, are, are kids just playing. And at least in the U.S., that pyramid is getting squished. Uh, so the base is shrinking. That middle is shrinking. I think it's shrinking even more because of one thing we uh, are calling L, name, image, and likeness, uh, which now, um, as a high school kid, you can get paid for your name, image, or likeness, which was before you, um, the, the college athletics wouldn't allow that to happen. Um, so that's all changing. That's all changing sport, which means that's changing games that kids play, and and now it's becoming more of a pay-to-play situation. And just the the time that I've been here, just you know, whether it's in the morning, driving down the street, looking you know at the at the playground. Looking at the street, you know, people are just playing a little bit more. On the weekend, we went to a, a public a playground and we counted 10 games of cricket going on in like <laughs> of the course. size of a half the size of a, it was probably the size of a, size of a basketball court. <laughs> Luckily, they were playing with tennis balls. But I was cricket. like, somebody's going to get hit by one of those. And th- <laughs> I was at the playground and, and I was ducking and keeping my eye, eye out for flying cricket balls. But yeah, so those are the things that I think I would love to pull back into what we're doing at Plato. Right, that makes sense. Uh, well, this has been an interesting chat, Aaron. And uh, I have to say, from the time that I looked you up, I could only imagine what a sneakerhead would not give to actually be in my position. So uh, I really hope I did justice to this conversation. This was a pleasure. Well, thank you. And I would like to say, um, because I, again, that's I'm here to help others. So if, if I can inspire more people, more kids to be better uh, and understand that play is at the foundation of that. Um, 
you know, play is what leads to creativity. Creativity leads to innovation. Uh, innovation leads to change and progress. Uh, and you can do that in your life. And it all starts with play. It's really refreshing to hear someone so entrenched in the sneaker world not once gloss over the excessive aspects of it. Shortly after the interview, Aaron spoke about how he doesn't resonate with certain parts of sneaker culture, like bragging about your shoe closet. Spoiler alert, he doesn't have one because he doesn't believe in wasteful hoarding. And yet, Aaron seems like nothing short of a celebrity in the Western sneaker world. I guess one has to wait and see how well he's able to translate that in the Indian context now. That's it for today. You were listening to The Morning Brief. I'm your host, Shifali Bhatt. This episode was produced by Surohini Jain and Vinay Joshi. Sound editor, Rajas Nayak. Executive producers, Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Barman. You can listen to this episode on all major podcasting platforms. Do tune in to ET Play for all audio content, including The Morning Brief. The Morning Brief episodes drop every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you for listening and have a nice day ahead.